Good morning. Um, I'd like to welcome this crowd of people to the first presentation uh, at, during the session, um, the, the day-long session that I hope you will return for uh, the other sessions of. I'm Carol Weiss. I'm director of the Villanova Institute for Teaching and Learning, commonly known as VITAL. And uh, VITAL's role on campus is to provide resources for faculty members to help them improve their students' learning. And each year, my office collaborates with the Center for Instructional Technologies to arrange and co-sponsor this part of the technology fair. And I'd like to introduce for our first presenter um, the late Gregory Palmer, who some of you were here actually at 9.15, and you learned that Greg was tied up in, in the catastrophic Blue Root uh, mess, and so he got here a little bit late. But I'm glad that you're able to be here. Uh, Greg is executive director of Magpie, and Magpie is a local Internet 2 presenter or provider. And Greg is going to show us how the Internet 2 can be used in healthcare education. Greg? Thank you, Carol, very much. And uh, my sincere apologies for being late. Uh, the, the traffic odds were not kind to me this morning. So we're going to go through the next 172 slides in exactly 29 minutes. So it'll be fast. I wanted to start this by just giving you a little bit of background. And you see in front of you a plate of sushi with a USB port on it. And this is to symbolize how dependent we've become on the network environment. The commodity internet, as, as we know it, uh, provides movie tickets, train tickets, airplane tickets. It provides a wealth of information, some good, most good, some not so good. But this is a sort of a, a little bit of a joke to say that you know, we, we are becoming very, very dependent upon our information, what we have, we carry it around with us, uh, and we can access it across the network. I also want to talk about our students now. I think you know that they are very different than students in the past. The students today are multimedia oriented. Uh, they are multitasking. They are stimulated by a media environment. Uh, I have a 15-year-old and a 17-year-old and they are generally doing three things at once at the same time. So it's a very different climate than it was for most of us, and especially for us. And I, I don't know if this is where we're headed, but certainly uh, I can see my son with his telephone clasped on one ear and an iPod and this and that and the other thing, and he is, he is becoming the Borg cause for concern. Internet 2, if you're not familiar with it, is the National Research and Education Network. And although I am not going to drill you with a number of technical details here, being a network technologist, I am required to show you at least one network diagram. So we'll try to make this the only one and let it go at that. But this is the backbone in the United States. 
And within the United States, there are 25 organizations like Magpie that act as mission points. And they present internet too. Membership and community-based, uh, it provides that national scale infrastructure and it goes very much beyond that. There are subgroups within internet too that deal with every facet of education that you can think of and research. So there's a very large section there on health sciences within Internet 2. Internet 2 also peers with 87 other countries. So there are Internet 2-like networks all the way around the world. So it is not just uh, a national or even regional or local network infrastructure. It's truly a global network infrastructure, and I'll talk more about that later. There are other groups that have become members of Internet, too, such as the World Bank. There are places in sub-Saharan Africa that you simply can't get to. The infrastructure does not exist yet. The World Bank has both satellite and ISDN connectivity that gets into places that you can't currently get to yet, extending the reach. So within Internet 2 today, and this information is slightly dated, but there are 112 medical colleges, 130 health science related. The affiliate members within Internet 2 include the funding agencies, National Institute of Health, National Science Foundation, NASA, NOAA, uh, the National Library of Medicine, the Library of Congress. Pharmaceutical companies have joined Internet 2, Eli Lilly and Johnson & Johnson. They're doing some of their clinical trials. Uh, with hospitals and healthcare facilities around the country. Industry has become members of Internet, too. Cisco, IBM, Microsoft, just to name a few. So Magpie is the aggregation point for Internet 2 traffic. But over the past nine years, Magpie has become an entity unto itself where it provides value within the region. We cover Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Delaware. We have 420 institutions in those sites, and as of uh, 10 days ago, uh, we agreed to do application development for the Commonwealth of Kentucky. So here are just a few of the universities that are mentioned. We also have about 300 K-12 sites in the three states, and another 176 in Kentucky. So these are valuable for outreach programs. We provide programming. We do roughly 100 academic programs every year in every field that you can think of. Uh, includes health sciences, we have virtual forums uh, where we bring in speakers in our relationship with UNIS, uh, European University Information Systems, and we keep in touch with what's going on in health science around the world. So I see that we have, I'm assuming this is predominantly faculty oriented, am I correct? Do we have students here? Any students? No? Faculty? Yes? Okay, great. Because I wanted to talk about some of the opportunities that involve network infrastructure and network communications. And these are just a few of them. And we're going to go into more detail in these now. Telemedicine and remote instrumentation is probably one of the, one of the biggest areas that we see. So here, what you see in front of you, and you may have seen this before at a previous uh, conference or demonstration, is uh, three-dimensional imaging of the human body. If you remember the, uh, uh, the human project where they took a, um, a convict 
in Texas that was on death row and he agreed to have his body sliced up in one millimeter slices and then subsequently digitized. That, that was after he was dead. So this, if you look at it, uh, I'm told that if you look at it cross-eyed, you can see uh, a three-dimensional image here. Now, my mother told me never to do that, so I haven't tried it, and tell me if it works. But what Dr. Sanger did was he took that digital uh, data set and put it together in the form of this three-dimensional simulation. You can maneuver through the human body. You can turn layers on, layers off. You can look at muscle. You can look at skeletal systems. You can look at the uh, venal system. You can stain items. So this is a phenomenal tool in education. One of the, one of the best known uses of telemedicine is remote pathology. So if you happen to be working in a rural hospital, it's sad but true, rural hospitals do not always have the funding available to hire a full-time pathologist. So all the blood work needs to go out to a lab somewhere. This can be days, sometimes a week or more before these test results come back. So when we look at um, remote telepathology, uh, we, this is Michael Feldman, by the way, and he's at the University of Pennsylvania. And he's been working uh, with a number of hospitals in rural Pennsylvania, and now he's going to be working with some hospitals uh, in Latin America and also in Africa. He has the ability, through a robotic microscope that the far end has, where they will put the glass slide with the tissue sample uh, on the stage of the microscope, and he can then control that microscope, and he has a high-resolution video image coming back to him using a format called DVTS. DVTS runs at 30 megabits per second, which is a very high capacity for video. He's then able to manipulate the slide and the microscope as if he were there and make remote consultations. So he's been doing this in Pennsylvania, and he's about to start doing it in Africa. Distance has no bearing upon this network uh, because of the capacities involved and because of the low latency and low congestion. This past fall, uh, I was present at a, uh, a conference, an Internet 2 members meeting, where uh, Luis Messina, a doctor in Brazil, gave a presentation on what they're doing with telemedicine there. Brazil has its own Internet 2-like network, and it has a lot of rural area, places difficult to get to. But the technology is there. The network infrastructure is there. So they're able to actually bring this into homes to do remote consultation. They're able to look at some very uh, remote sections and actually have physicians consults going on. Uh, this is something that's of particular interest to me. I got a call uh, about two weeks ago on a Monday and it was uh, Bert O'Malley and he was calling from Saudi Arabia. And the reason why he was calling was the Saudis were interested in a teaching program from the United States using robotic uh, surgical devices. So they were looking for telementoring. Now this is a, uh, you're looking at a da Vinci robotic system. The difficulty with, and this does not roll off the tongue easily, laryngology. the difficulty is that the surgeon's hands don't fit 
in small places in the throat. So they're using robotic systems now to do this. Now today, um, approved by the FDA, you see the surgeon is over here to the right. Come on, mouse. There he is. So here's the surgeon, here's the patient, and here's the Da Vinci robotic system. So they're able to use very, very small instrumentation to get into very tight places. The idea was that eventually, uh, for the United States Navy and for the armed forces, they would be able to do um, surgical, very difficult surgical procedures using the surgeon anywhere in the country and the patient would be anywhere in the planet. Why we use Internet 2? Because the time lag. Uh, if you've ever watched CNN or some of the other uh, news programs where the remote reporter is waiting to hear the question and then responds. That's very bad under these kinds of surgical procedures uh, because when you give the robot the command, it needs to respond instantly. So we measured the time lag across Internet 2 and with some of the uh, remote sites around the world in milliseconds, not in seconds. This is, uh, this is Dr. Phil Silverstein. He originally, he was a uh, emergency room doctor in Reading, Pennsylvania. And he used his, his own funds to create an animated program that talks about HIV, the immune system, and AIDS. Uh, he's been bringing this to K-12 communities all around the country for about two years now. And it's a phenomenal program. This was seen by someone from the American Medical Association and they said, you know, this explains the immune system in ways better than anything I've seen or any textbook that I've ever seen. So with some slight upgrades to make it fairly more complicated, uh, Phil was able to deliver this now to nursing students throughout the country. And he does this virtually. He sits in our studio at 34th and Walnut Street in Philadelphia, and he is able to speak with about 15 classrooms at the same time. He just did this for uh, nursing students in Latin America, and it was a tremendous success. This was something that was done by Lafayette University uh, about a year ago. They had uh, a collaboration with the Institut Pasteur uh, where they were talking about avian influenza. And this was actually a half-day symposium uh, with the Institut Pasteur in Paris, um, Lafayette, Columbia, and Wheaton College and the University of Pennsylvania, where they discussed in detail some of the uh, effects of avian influenza and some of the ways of treating it and controlling it. Now this is kind of interesting. If you look closely at the slide, you'll see a small patch where there's no light pollution. And that's where Loretto, Pennsylvania is. Loretto has about 300 people that live there, but it also has St. Francis University and the Center of Excellence for Remote and Medically Underserved Areas. So they conduct uh, teaching classes with uh, nurse practitioners, uh, physician's assistants, uh, they have a nursing, full nursing program there, and they use the mannequin to do simulations. The mannequin costs about $300,000. Simusa did not have the funds for that. 
So this mannequin and this physician are actually located uh, at the Uniform Services Hospital in Bethesda, Maryland. The class is in Loretto, Pennsylvania. So they're a little bit cut off from the rest of the world. They sit on a mountaintop there, but they have full access to this and they run through simulations. At the same time that they're speaking with the doctor and he's explaining some things, they have full telemetry uh, coming at them as far as what is happening with the patient? You know, what are all the vital signs? This is something that they could not do before across uh, ISDN or circuits with less capacity. So they now have plasma screens, about three plasma screens, all with different perspectives on what's happening with the patient. And just as a brief aside, uh, my sister, who lives in not too far from here in Huntington, Pennsylvania, uh, called me one day and she said, uh, I've been diagnosed with a brain tumor. So, but, but don't worry, I found a good neurosurgeon in the Yellow Pages. And I said, that's it, you're coming here. I'll be there in about two and a half hours. But what even led to the diagnosis for her, uh, she went to a country physician, you know, low cost, not much, and basically he told her, uh, you, have, uh, you have a migraine headache, I want you to take some painkillers and it'll go away, call me in the morning. But he did have a physician's assistant there that was actually trained at St. Francis University. And she said, you know, I think we should do some tests. So her training and the training that came through this program uh, actually saved my sister's life. So I'm very grateful to the folks at St. Francis and Sir Musa and was glad that we were actually a part of the training of this person that led to that correct diagnosis. Australia has an awful lot of open area and low populations. Very difficult and not exactly a great career move for a physician or a nurse to go to the outback and, and spend their life in some tiny village. But they do have infrastructure, and they do have connectivity. So what you're looking at uh, on the right screen here is uh, someone being examined and speaking with a physician. And this is not just for medical issues. This is also being used for psychological screening as well. Now we get a little bit different. When we look at how physicians are trained traditionally, believe it or not, there's a surgery going on here. So what you see are the medical students all sort of crammed around, looking at the procedure, asking questions. Not everybody gets a very good view with this because it's crowded and you can't see what's going on. What's happening today, and this is at Stanford University and it's now being done um, at the University of Michigan and several other places is called immersive telepresence. So what you see in what may have been um, the viewing theater as the surgery has progressed, none of those students are in that room. All of those people are a hundred miles away. They're observing the procedure, they're asking questions of the surgeon, and if you notice they're not looking straight at the, they're looking at their laptops or they're looking at the screen monitors in front of them. The surgeon 
has, uh, there are actually multiple cameras and he's wired with a microphone. So he is able to discuss in detail exactly what's going on with the students and everybody has a good view. You can carry this one step further. Uh, it may not be a branch campus, uh, but it may be a site somewhere around the world where medical training is going on. One thing we've seen is uh, the rest of the world is very hungry for the medical education that the United States has to offer. We've gotten requests from Egypt, uh, I think I mentioned Saudi Arabia, Dominican Republic, Ghana, Somalia, the list just goes on and on and on. At the University of Pennsylvania, they have what they call the Penn Global Health Program. And I received a request to find out how many sites around the world have access. And they're, they're working primarily with AIDS uh, patients, but they're also doing research. They gave me 12 different locations around the world. Every one of them is connected in some way. We did a presentation not too long ago in collaboration with Medical Missions for Children. So you see Frank Brady, who's the CEO and founder. Frank is neither a physician, uh, nor is he a technologist, but he is a philanthropist. So he understood that in certain parts of the world, medical education is just non-existent, that they're totally dependent upon uh, outside resources. So he began a program. First was telemedicine initiative. And what you see there is a young man um, in Panama who was uh, seriously disfigured and had some neurological issues. They actually were able to diagnose and treat the young man remotely uh, from, from uh, St. Joseph's Hospital for Children in New Jersey. He's created also what he calls the Global Video Library of Medicine. So this is a video on demand in health sciences. This gives anywhere in the planet that has any kind of reasonable connectivity the ability to tap in to this huge library of surgical procedures, uh, of medical content, of medical terms, of training, uh, and are able to have uh, virtual classes in this fashion. And then the last thing he did was to create Giggles Children's Theater. This is, uh, this is programming because the mental attitude of the patient has so much to do with their well-being and their health. So they brought in uh, special programming from their studios at St. Joseph's Hospital and they piped this live in some cases or they tape it and provide programming to about 40 hospitals now uh, and an increasing, an increasing number of these. So I've managed to go through these rather quickly and I, I apologize for that. Are any of you aware of the Federal Communications Commission Rural Healthcare Pilot Program? Anybody? No, 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 no. Well, there's something called E-rate. E-rate is in every one of your telephone bills and the university telephone bills. We're all paying it. And what that is used for is to offset the cost of telecommunication services for school districts and hospitals. 
Unfortunately, the hospitals never took advantage of it. So the Federal Communications Commission decided that they would take this, there was actually $100 million a year allocated for this, that they would take this money and create a pilot program to help build infrastructure to rural hospitals in the United States. They came up with $417 million over three years that will be allocated among 69 institutions. In Pennsylvania, we have six institutions, six healthcare systems uh, that are taking advantage of this program. And that's going to involve nationally about 6,000 health institutions. So looking at the United States, this is every one of those hospitals that are going to be affected uh, by this program. The money is to help them build infrastructure. So again, you think of continuing medical education in a rural hospital, either in Pennsylvania or somewhere around the country. Not much comes in to that. They have to go somewhere. This gives them the ability to bring in expertise, to use telepathology, to use robotic systems, to use you know, these things that are network-based. These are the six institutions that are health systems in Pennsylvania. Milton Hershey, Juniata Valley, Geisinger, Northwestern Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania Mountains Healthcare, and Northeast Health Net Alliance. Uh, there's an opportunity here for Villanova, and I just want to make sure everybody's very aware of that, in that these folks are looking for continuing medical education. Villanova has a good connection to Magpie and thence to Internet2. Uh, over the next year, we're going to be connecting all of these healthcare systems in Pennsylvania uh, to our network, which gives them access to you. So here's a challenge for you. And the challenge is to develop uh, continuing medical education programs that would be available to these healthcare systems, not just in Pennsylvania, but around the country. Our neighbors to the south in Delaware have begun an initiative. It's called the Delaware Statewide Telemedicine Initiative. And I was asked sort of last minute to go to the Smyrna rest stop uh, in Delaware on, on Route 1 going south and participate in a committee uh, that is in the process of planning this. And I thought it was very interesting. These were all healthcare people and no technology people. And they all acknowledged that the number one issue for them was electronic patient records. The ability to send patient records from one point to another point. People move. People are on vacation. Lots of things happen. Uh, this is a very, very big problem. And up until very recently, HIPAA, uh, which protected uh, the, the patient's information, has been the stumbling block with this. And this is no longer true. There have been ways to protect that information and still be able to, to send these electronic patient records or make them available. So in Delaware, uh, and actually some of those institutions, their health systems in Pennsylvania, are this is their first priority. Uh, I'm going to go real fast now through the end of this, but these are other things that are happening within the Internet2 community. Medical middleware. So middleware is something that exists between the source and the destination on the network 
that makes the information usable to both parties. So sometimes this is informatics. It's genomics data. It's large, large volumes of information, and there are two different sets of standards in how you look at that. The middleware acts as the common platform that makes that usable and readable by both sides. Authentication. This is how we overcome the HIPAA issue. So you have patient history, patient records, patient names. Authentication certifies who you are. Geisinger is actually using a form of this. There are a whole wide spectrum of things that are out there in the virtual world to help both education and to help the patient and research. So this is sort of the breakdown of what's happening in the virtual world from a macro to a micro kind of perspective. And what you see there is the amount of data that, is, that this represents. I'll skip burn. Um, grid computing. So how many of you are computer science people? I'm surprised, actually. There's one person out there in computer science. I, I didn't expect that. Grid computing uh, has become a very valuable tool within the health sciences industry. More and more massive amounts of information are being collected. My wife has a part-time job, in addition to her research position, where she identifies proteins uh, in the mouse brain and where they are. It doesn't sound very glamorous or very exciting, and actually it's not. But it takes her about eight hours to do 100 proteins. She will be gainfully employed for the next six years just to identify all the various proteins in the mouse brain. These are some of the elements where the network brings uh, capabilities. Electron microscope. I was speaking with one of your faculty members just before I came up here, and I believe Villanova has an electron microscope. Well, what about the ability to make that available online, remote instrumentation, in the same way that that uh, microscope in the pathology world uh, was made available? So I'm going to actually just stop and leave this with you, and we have about two minutes for any questions that you might have. I apologize for running through that rather quickly. My fault and 476. Are there any questions? What questions do you have for Greg? Too fast, too furious? Yes, sir. I think you just, sure. I think you just answered my, my question, which was right there. Is how does one access this and get a sense of, you know, I'm, you know, I'm I've, I've heard it, I don't know much about it, but I know it's a very powerful, uh, you know, use. I'm right. curious to see, you know, how can I get on my computer and see what's, what's out there? Uh, the best place is to go to the internet2.edu website, and then what you'll see there are specific applications. So high energy physics is there, uh, network technology is there, health sciences is, one of, is a huge uh, sub-website of Internet 2, and that'll keep you busy for a week, easily. How, how does Internet 2 differ in terms of its accessibility to the general public? Is it, is it a 
different security system? Is it, you know, where is the basic distinction? Right. If you think of what happens in the commodity internet, so they're, they're for-profit organizations, and it's their responsibility to make money. So what they do is they sell you capacity, either through cable modems, DSL, or in some fashion, and they oversell that intentionally, because not everybody's going to be using the network at the same time. So they buy a little bit upstream as far as their connectivity to other locations around the planet and sell way more than they have. But what this does is it creates, at times of peak use, latency and congestion. The Internet 2 network does not oversell, does not oversubscribe. Um, it is a nonprofit, so they don't have to. So you have enormous amounts of capacity with as few pieces of equipment on the network as possible. Because every time a piece of equipment is touched, when you go to a website, you may be going through 25, 30, 40 pieces of equipment before you get to that website. And each one of them slows it down a little bit. Internet 2 has engineered this, and so have the other networks around the world, so as to not slow it down. So that's what makes it different. Latency, congestion, and capacity. When you get, when you get a, am I okay? When, when you get your, um, let's say, cable modem, that gives you about this much capacity. Much better than the 96K baud modems, which gave you about that much capacity. But who was it, Bill Gates or somebody said, who could possibly need more than that? Um, Internet 2 is this much capacity times 10. So it's, it's phenomenal in that respect. We do, we do work with uh, the Philadelphia Orchestra, where they do virtual performances. Uh, so we, we cover every field of study that you can think of. Makes it a great job. I have a two-part question. One, what, is the, what are the fees associated with something like this? We're a very small uh, nursing education department. CMEs, uh, we're connected to college nursing, but our budget is very small. So for us to add to something like this, I didn't know what it would cost per year, so that's my first question. Or is there like a year to be? And secondly, if you do access this, in terms of like open access and copyright and things like that, is this like an open access website where as long as you cite the person and give them credit, you can use it, the materials in your education? Okay. Second question. Yes, you, you can use the information. Um, it's just academically appropriate to cite the source. Absolutely. But I mean, some right. people, you know, don't want, you know, I'm just in that realm of, you know, for you, you know, since we do some online things, I don't know what you can do in the classroom versus online. Right. The whole issue of copyright gets a little squirrely. Well, uh, here's an example. So, Dr. Uh, Dr. Phil Silverstein, um, that does the HIV and immune system, his work is copyrighted. So you cannot take his presentations or animations and reuse them in the classroom. However, they are accessible when he does a program through our studio at no charge. So it's going to differ a little bit. Predominantly, the, the majority of the information that you'll see on the Internet 2 website or our Internet, our website, is free of charge and free to use. For example, is that clearly indicated on the website? 
Um, it is on the Internet too website, yes. With us, we don't put anything up there that isn't readily available. Well, that's not up there. You can participate in the program. You just can't capture it and reuse it. Um, in Dr. Phil's case, what we would do is we would introduce you to Dr. Phil and the two of you would work that out. No, 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 but just for Internet 2. For Internet 2, uh, pretty much everything on there, well, actually everything on their website is available and free to use. Oh, really? Just by logging on, you don't have to subscribe or pay? Well, the difference is in the connection. So Villanova University is connected. Villanova already has a significant amount of capacity coming into the university. They're starting to hit the top a little bit now, so we have to talk to Stephen Fugali about increasing that. You're there. You're there. Now, going from home, your limitation is going to be your capacity from home. So if you have the DSL cable or, or Fios or something like that, that's the limiting factor, is your ability to pull that down. One thing we do very differently is with video, for example. So video normally is a fairly small thing in order to get high resolution. And the bigger it gets, the lower your resolution. When you're working in health sciences, color, texture, these are, these are very important things. So we do everything in high resolution. It's all full screen. Um, and you, you get the benefit of that color and that texture. We had a, a gentleman who's doing uh, work in China. He has a remote lab. He has a lab in Beijing and he's in Philadelphia. And he actually runs that lab uh, remotely. And when they have their staff meetings, I mean there are people there, when they have their staff meetings um, and they're showing uh, tissue samples, if it's not perfect if it's not the same thing you would see live and in the microscope, they don't want it. Thank you. I do think Sorry. we have to end at this point, but Greg did say he'd be around. So um, if you have questions, I suspect he'd be um, very open to answering them. And I want to thank Greg because I certainly found that really enlightening. And I hope those of you who are here also. Thank you. Sorry, I just rushed. <laughs>